chance. Instead, it was a coup. It was a revolt. Humanity rejected the Son of God and His rule over us. The death of Jesus only makes sense. The suffering of Jesus only makes sense because God desired to bring many sons to glory. God suffered to save sufferers. Not only that, God suffered to save oppressors. It was fitting because it accomplished what God wanted to accomplish, to have a people, to have a human family, not founded by Adam, but founded by Jesus. And then this other line comes that, man, it's so, it's such heavy Christology that if you don't wrestle with it, if it doesn't challenge you, if it doesn't sound wrong the first time you read it, then you just need to read more carefully. It, it seems so backwards. This line says that God should make the founder of their salvation. You're the there, right? That God would desire to make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. Big ideas there is, first of all, there's a founder. So God made Jesus the founder, the king, the head of a new human nation. And we need to remember that that's how we're supposed to think of ourselves, like our, a, a, a unique people, like a unique nation in the world. From our perspective, um, it's international, multilingual, lots of ethnos, lots of different people with different customs that live in different countries. From God's perspective, it's just his family. We are the people of God. I, you know, I have a daughter in, in Portland, and as our kids grow, we might have kids in a variety of states, but I'm not going to say that the Combs family is like multi-statal. Is that what? Rather, I'll just look and go, that's my kids. It was fitting that Christ would suffer, that he might make out of us because of the founder of our salvation, a people. Do you see identity there? Do you see love there? Do you see how little you had to do with this there? And then salvation. It's kind of a funny way to use the word salvation, isn't it? That, uh, that God should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. We typically think of being saved as something we are, like I am saved. In this passage, though, it fe salvation feels more like a place we are. That Christ has founded a kingdom. And what it means to be saved is to be a citizen of that kingdom. Salvation. The good life. The way things are supposed to be. It's not just punch my ticket for heaven, but it's a brand new kind of life with a brand new family, with being a brand new people that we might express the love of God and grace and forgiveness and mercy to each other, that we might as a people be a light to the nations, that they too might feel invited in by the great love of God. And then this word perfect. We don't really think of Jesus needing to grow in perfection very often. What could that mean? It's sort of a, an old-fashioned way to use the word perfect. I've, I've, if you read a book from, you know, 
centuries past, or even, you know, the early part of the 1900s, if you read Robinson Crusoe or, um, I don't know, something like that, and, and they'll talk about a, a perfected tree being one in full bloom, right? So it's, it's one that's fulfilling its purpose. Still, we don't really think of Jesus ever having a time where he wasn't doing the right thing or fulfilling his purpose. So certainly it wasn't that Jesus was sinful and needed to become perfect, No, far from it. But what was lacking in Christ? I didn't make this up. This is the language the Scriptures use. What was lacking in Christ to be our uh, priest, the, the head of our priesthood, was to understand our suffering. That what was added to Jesus in suffering was the thing that is common to every human, that He might be the one who can lead us out of suffering. So he put that on. He became a sufferer to save those suffering. I know this is a dumb story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When I was about 12 years old, I went to Augie Garrido Angel Country Baseball Camp. It's maybe top five weeks of my life. Um, You know, you play baseball all day. There's a Tron machine in the lobby. We stayed in the dorms at Cal State Fullerton. Just, And... Near the end of the week, I went a, a couple different years, and near the end of one of the weeks, I, uh, I, this might be my, my parents hearing this for the first time, uh, I stayed up too late and fell off my bunk while I was horsing around and wrestling with uh, um, uh, some other guys, and I fell and I hit the inside of my foot, the bottom of my foot on the side table, and so I just couldn't put any pressure on it and it hurt, and I, what a dummy, and the big problem with that is the Dodgers catcher, Mike Sosha, was coming to talk to us that next day, and I didn't want to miss it, but I was, I mean, my foot was throbbing, and I don't know if I was handling pain that well, and, and so I did the thing that I would still do today if something like that happened, I called my mom, and, um, and she came to pick me up, and uh, so I got in the car, and I, I think we had to go check out with one of the coaches or something, and so we, we pulled along this big grass field, and it's just my poor little stupid broken heart is watching all of the teammates over there, and they're talking, and I can tell that Mike Sosha, who is the catcher for the Dodgers, who I was so excited to hear what he had to say, I just see his back over there, you know, he's wearing his jersey, and I see him talking to the guys, and I was like, ah, this is you know, miserable. And, and so as we're checking out, I see Mike Sosha turn and walk. Like, it had to be like a, a hundreds of yards. And he walked the whole way and got down and said, hi, I'm Mike. And I said, <laughs> and, and he said, oh, I heard you hurt yourself. And it was this very nice conversation. And, but I was never going to get there. It was going to have to be, and he had no reason to do it either. I think he probably cashed the check without crossing the big field in order to talk to the dumb kid who was up too late wrestling in his dorm room and so couldn't be at practice that day. But it was only, it was only fitting for him to do that because he just cared about some dumb little kid baseball player. He could have taken one look at me and known I was never going to be one of his teammates, right? (laughs) This was not a recruiting trip. Jesus could have reigned from far away. I don't know how that would have worked, but he's God. He could figure it out. Jesus could have reigned from far away, but he brought lots of people into relationship to him. 
as he added humanity to his suffering. I'm sorry, as he added humanity and suffering to his majesty and power. In Christ, we see not only majesty and power, but we see someone who knows what it's like to suffer. He isn't just the one and only God. He is our brother. You know, sometimes I get overwhelmed by thinking about what Jesus understands. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Has anybody ever been a false friend and lied about you behind your back? Have you ever said something that was true and had lots of people just leave? Just lost friends because of something that you said that you, that you believed in that you thought was true? Have you ever felt physical pain that was more than you could bear? Have you ever had to sit and suffer while you're watching the people that made you suffer thrive? Have you ever sat and washed the feet of the people, who, one of whom who is going to hand you over to a Roman guard and another who's going to deny he ever knew you? In the suffering of Jesus, we find not only God on high, but we find God brought low. And it's not fitting unless it is because Jesus loves us. Well, let's look at the effects of Christ's suffering what did it accomplish? Verse 11 through 13 are going to give us some rails to run on. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That, uh, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And then some Old Testament quotes. Again, the author of Hebrews is talking to Jewish Christians and always wants to remind, him, wants to remind them, this is not like a brand new thing that Jesus, you know, that God was scrambling and made up a new plan. No, rather Isaiah said this over and over. Let's go back to the scroll of Isaiah and go, this has always been there. What Jesus accomplished is what God's plan always was, that he would bring siblings, family into his house. Jesus sanctifies us and we are sanctified um, and we are sanctified by the same source. It was the blood of Jesus that was his suffering. It is the blood of Jesus that brings us into his family. At the cross, Jesus earned our sanctification and there is no other source. This is a good reminder if you're struggling with walking away. There is no other source of sanctification. It is the blood of Christ and it is only the blood of Christ. And there are others that promise it. And there are others that are promising like self-actualization and big ideas and political success or whatever. But there is only one way to holiness. And it is the one who shed his blood that we might be his family. One source. Again, when you think about the audience, these Jewish believers, they might have been tempted to think that their association with the law, like, hey, following Jesus is landing us in prison a lot. And not only that, like my aunt won't return my call because 
Um, I started eating bacon and, um, you know, like maybe you should just go back. The law was working for our ancestors. Maybe I can just be good. The author of Hebrews wants to remind you, no, the blood of Jesus is the source of sanctification, of holiness. Sanctified and holy are synonyms. They mean very similar things. And the thing that identifies Jesus as the God-man and the only unique Savior of the world is the cross, and that is the only means of our holiness too. I don't understand what I'm about to say. Jesus suffered because he wanted to. I don't really understand that. That's a nuanced thing. That's one facet of the gem because there's also Jesus in the garden saying, God, don't make me do this. There's another way, God, can we figure this out? But the, the greater good in the heart of Jesus is that you would be brought in to his family. It wasn't that he desired the suffering and it wasn't that God the Father desired his suffering either. But what God wanted was to so love you that you would be loved into his family. Let's look at the power of Jesus' suffering. Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. There are ancient heresies some of which say that Jesus wasn't actually God, that he was a human. Some that say that he, the, the spirit of the Christ came on hit him in his baptism and then left him uh, before he died. Uh, there's other ancient heresies that say, no, actually, Jesus uh, was really a human, but he wasn't really uh, God. Uh, others say, no, he actually was God, but he wasn't actually flesh and blood. Um, and, and these heresies have been worked out. I'm sure you all have the Council of Chalcedon and the, the Confession memorized, but... Um, uh, but uh, so these ancient heresies have been worked out for years, but still it is important to read things like, A, Jesus took on flesh and blood. I'm wearing a brace on my right knee now that uh, because while I was coaching my daughter in soccer, I tweaked my knee a little bit and I'm doing like eight refereeing like eight basketball games a week right now. And so my knee's all swollen and it hurts. And it's no big deal. Don't cry for me. I'm having a great time. But um, but the idea that God knows what that feels like. That he took on flesh. There were not like superhuman ligaments. That through death, it's so important that he was really flesh and blood because if he wasn't really flesh and blood, then he didn't really die like you and I are going to die. But through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil. And deliver all those through, uh, who through fear of death were subjected to lifelong slavery. Fear of death equated to lifelong slavery. Is that not the world you live in? Isn't it amazing how like the coolest, newest thing that all the billionaires are doing is like making ways to like, 
They're like getting blood transfusions of young people and they think they're going to live to 200. And the whole thing with AI is we're going to like upload our consciousness. John Lennox is one of my favorite um, Christian thinkers and he, uh, he's written about artificial intelligence and, and he talks about like metahumans and, and uploading our consciousness and trying to conquer the grave. And he and his very Irish, sweet old Irish grandpa kind of accent goes, goes, I'm afraid you're 2,000 years too late. But rather, death was conquered. We do not need blood transfusions and artificial intelligence. Through death, death itself was conquered. But I think the world would rather roll the dice with artificial intelligence and fancy blood transfusions than die to themselves and follow Jesus. The power of Jesus' suffering is incredible. First of all, there was power. He was flesh and blood. There's power in his identity as a human. Okay, I try really hard not to tell sports-related stories, and so I feel really terrible I'm telling a second one. But when I was in high school in Los Angeles, there was a hockey team called the Kings, and nobody went, um, and they were good sometimes, and we all like had a King's jersey because we thought it was cool, but it was like you could get tickets for pretty cheap and it was really fun, but nobody was a hockey fan. If you ask anybody from my high school right now, they will say they always loved hockey, but they're lying. They started loving hockey the day Wayne Gretzky decided to be a king. And all of a sudden, the tickets were very expensive. Wayne Gretzky, you know his nickname. He is the great one. And... It was just like cold weather place kind of game, right? If you grew up in, like, if you, had, if you ever had an engine block that had a heater connected to it, you probably knew hockey, but none of us did. Um, but as soon as the great one put on our jersey, all of a sudden, we were like, we're going to win. <laughs> it's going to be good. Look, the great one is one of us. Do you see where I'm going with this? That because Jesus is flesh and blood, we look and go, the great one is one of us. We are not these low, like slimy sinners on the bottom looking up at Jesus uh, in his majesty going, well, we'll never get there. But rather Jesus in his majesty became low, put on flesh and blood, that we might say, there is a human to follow who suffered so that he might love Verse 17 even says he was like his brothers in every respect. This is really a Jewish sentence. Um, the, uh, he was not only flesh and blood, not only really human, but really a Jewish guy. Kept the law and uh, for surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Like he identified as a Jew, he was the, the one who kept all of the promise of the nation of Israel. There was power in his identity as human. There was power in his identity as Jew as well. God still loved the descendants of Abraham. How important would this, if you were reading this, going, man, God's talking, like all of the apostles are talking about like welcoming Gentiles and all this stuff, and then to read, no, no, no. God did not stop loving you, but rather it was Jesus, the Jew, that came to save Jews and then also fulfill the Jewish 
work of welcoming in the Gentiles. Not only that, but there's power in victory over the devil. We don't use the word the devil. I think it was um, Dana Carvey messed up the word the devil for us with the church lady on Saturday Night Live, don't you think? Maybe it was the devil? You know, I don't know. No, I guess he said Satan then, huh? Satan. But we don't use that word. It kind of feels like a like an overly simple explanation. But the author of Hebrews used it. There's an enemy. There's, a, there's a, a, an attacker. There is somebody, a spiritual somebody, trying to keep you depressed and low and unloved. And through his death, Jesus beat him up. Even if we think about how the word death is being used here, you know, I, there's a Jonathan Bass book that's talking about what it means that Jesus stole the keys of the kingdom from Satan in his, in his descent, and it's a little bit of a nerdy book. You should read it. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it a great deal, and he makes the point um, that in the ancient world, death was a place, a concept, like uh, the the you know, end of life, but it was also a place and it was also a person, a spiritual person. You think about, um, okay, so if you've ever, you know, watched the Disney cartoon that includes the character Hades. Hades is a place where dead people go, but Hades is also the God of the dead. And this was like an ancient understanding of how these things work. Jesus was absolutely monotheistic since he was God, but, um, but he, he's teaching in this polytheistic understanding. So as he says, so as it is said of him, he conquered death. It is not just like the concept of what happens when you die. It is all of the spiritual forces that reign over death. Like Jesus is victorious, not over just like when you get old and pass away and then you're not going to be dead, but you're going to be alive in heaven. No, actually there are spiritual forces of death and Jesus kicked their tail. There is power in the suffering of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to conquer a vague notion of non-life. But rather, Jesus came to look death and Satan, the devil, in the eye and say, you cannot have these people I love. John 3.16 is not hyperbole. If you believe in Him, trust Him, follow Him with your life, you will not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus destroyed death by dying. Jesus also delivered us from the fear of death. What would you do in a life without fear. I think we can imagine death being like a great prison that's run by an evil giant. No one ever gets out. The reputation for cruelty and impenetrability is far-ranging. And imagine that an innocent man willingly checked himself into this prison, spent three nights 
going through torture, the iron bars, the whole thing, and then suddenly showed up in the town square to announce that he had defeated the giant, bound him, unlocked all the doors so that if you would trust him, you would never fear that prison or that evil giant again. What would your life be like without fear? What if the goal of your life was not cheating death or leaving a legacy, but the goal of your life was expanding the kingdom of God without fear? And if your life on earth lasted another day or another hundred years, that's okay. There's nothing to fear. And lastly, there's power in the obedience of Jesus. Verse verse 18 um, says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Oh, that's a very particular kind of suffering. Have you felt the suffering that is involved with temptation? Saying no to your flesh hurts, doesn't it? When there's just the most juicy piece of gossip ever and you're just not going to share it. When there's temptation to prop yourself up, when there's temptation to cut a corner for the sake of greed, when lust rears its ugly head, the saying no to sin hurts. There's a sting there. And we're foolish and dishonest to say otherwise. Jesus has felt that particular sting too. There's power in the obedience. Temptation to sin, temptation to despair, temptation to worship worship myself. There is real suffering there. And you know what it's like. The pull away from obedience is strong. But we have a high priest, and we're going to start using the word high priest a lot in the next section of Hebrews. But Jesus' suffering was purposeful. He endured temptation just like you because he wants a human family that much it was effective it made him able to reverse the curse you know it really is and i know you've had these thoughts before but it's sunday morning we're worshipers let's just think about it what kind of a savior would jesus be if he had never felt temptation would we follow him He might have a great philosophy to follow, but man, somebody who's felt temptation like me, that's important. And then what what kind of a savior would Jesus be if he had given in to temptation? I got lots of mentors like that. No, but rather we serve. God brought low so he could be high and lifted up and be given the name that's above every other name who has felt the same temptation that you have felt and knows how to say no and say yes to his father. Who else would you follow? What else would you do? What other savior might there be? Let me challenge you with a few things as we wrap up. Because of the effective powerful, meaningful, meaningful suffering of Jesus because you have been invited in to be a sibling into the family of God. 
Don't hide from Jesus anymore. He suffered so he could know you. Tell him the truth. Be a person of confession. I promise the suffering he has endured on your behalf is more than you being honest about what's going on in your heart. Tell him your fears, your sins. You can trust him. Could you not trust him? Jesus has borne great suffering for us. Let's bear our hearts and souls to him. Second, none of us want to fear death, but we do it all. We all do it. It's, it's, uh, death is, feels unnatural. And you know, I was talking about this with somebody just the other day. Death is, is one of those things that we all know it's ahead of us. We all know people have died and somehow we're mad about it every time. It doesn't feel natural because we know we're meant for life, not death. Would you trust Jesus with eternity? And I'm not talking about like ask him into your heart and get the Awana badge. I'm talking about like would you grow in the ability to trust God with eternity? To worry less about what's next. Trust him with that and worry more about what he would have you do now. And lastly, man, if you're seeing this on YouTube 10 years from now, or I'll probably delete it by then, but um, (laughs) um, if you're seeing this anywhere, or if you're in the room and Jesus is not your Savior, man, I don't know what's in your way, but would you say yes to Jesus right now? It was fitting that he suffered because of how much he loves you. What does God want in the world? A people, a family for his own. You are invited into that family. If you would just say no to the family that you were born into, this human family that's full of oppression, violence, greed, lust, and all kinds of tomfoolery and say yes instead to the kingdom of God. Say yes to Jesus. Say it right now. I'll remind you that he has invited us to join him in the mission of being the light of the world. We are not invited into this family just to be loved on. We are invited in this family first to be loved on, but then we are sent out with mission. And I don't know if you can be living for your legacy and fear of death and living for the kingdom of God at the same time. You might have to choose. Jesus suffered because of his love for you. Would you live for your love for him? Heavenly Father, Thank you. God, I'm overwhelmed by your love for us. Lord, I have a hard time loving me. I don't know how you do it. I'm so grateful for it. Lord, I'm so aware. Lord, unfortunately, I'm even aware of other people's flaws. (laughs) Certainly aware of mine. And God, when I'm thinking about me 
it doesn't make much sense. But when my eyes are on you and I see what you were willing to do that you might welcome me in, Lord, may our whole lives be a response to your great love. Lord, if there's fear in the room, man, I pray that it would be overwhelmed by your love. Man, if there's struggles with temptation and there's that familiar and um, you know, terrible cycle of repentance and failure and repentance and failure, God, I pray that your obedience would be what we follow, that you would teach us to say yes to truth and light like you did. Lord, we live in a world full of people who have not yet said yes to you. They're, they're not in the family. And God, it breaks our hearts. Lord, you were willing to suffer that we might be welcomed in. If, if you have things to call us to, even if it hurts a little bit in the here and now, even if there's some suffering for us, that we might welcome in people in your name. Lord, would you show us? Would you open our eyes? Lord, would you save Seaside? Save Monterey Peninsula. We love you, God. We're thankful for you. God, thank you for loving us. Teach us to meditate on that. In Jesus' name, amen.